Welcome to the Script and Style Show, the web show where we talk about web development with the people that make it happen. Today's episode is brought to you by TrackJS JavaScript Error Monitoring. Know when errors hit your website with the context to find and fix bugs fast with TrackJS. Start your free trial today at trackjs.com. Hey there, welcome to the Script and Style Show, the show where we talk about web development and the people that make it happen. I'm Todd Gardner from TrackJS JavaScript Error Monitoring, and my co-host, David Walsh, creator of the popular blog, davidwalsh.name. How's it going, David? Good, how are you? I'm very well, very well. It's been a fun week. So speaking of fun weeks, I've been seeing Jurassic Park pictures flashing across my, my Twitter feed. I feel like my childhood's coming back to me. I, what's up with that? Yeah, I've, I've been tweeting a lot about Jurassic Park in the past week. I've been putting together a new talk for some conferences I'm going to. Um, and it's a talk that I'm, I'm like disguising in a Jurassic Park theme. Uh, and so I'm pretending to be like the VP of information technology of Jurassic Park as like my shtick for this new talk. And so as, as research from, from it, I've been like, I've watched Jurassic Park like 10 times. And like, <laughs> I've just been screen capping scenes and like, like photoshopping myself into scenes and doing all kinds of fun stuff. It's it's been a grand time. It's been a grand time. I think if I were to do that to a movie, I think it would be like Goodfellas, Goodfellas or Casino or something like that. I think that's the direction that I'd go. Whereas all mobbed up, I'm getting into trouble. But Jurassic Park, that's that's a really well, so my angle on Jurassic Park is that uh, the talk is on uh, whether to build or buy software is in making that like architectural choice. Do we build something from scratch or do we use some uh, existing package? Um, and so I'm, I'm uh, spinning this in such a way that the core of the failure of Jurassic Park was that they made this decision wrong. <laughs> Everything else that went wrong was just stemmed from this bad software decision. I think it's a bad idea to bring dinosaurs back to life. <laughs> 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 Maybe it was fundamental at its core, I think. All right. Yeah. All right. So this week, this week we're going to do something sort of interesting, right? Um, we've done what's in the news before, and we're going to talk about a couple of popular news items. But also, I know that I'm going to be gone next week in San Francisco at the Mozilla All Hands. Um, I can also add that um, I'm one of two people working on the DevTools debugger, and the other person has been on vacation. So I'm a bit stressed out. So I just want to have some fun, shoot the breeze a little bit um, before I, I head off to San Francisco. How does that sound? That sounds great. Let's have a an easy, casual podcast if any of ours aren't easy and casual. <laughs> They're all fun. Um, <clears throat> so again, I'll be gone in San Francisco next week. So unless you are a one-man team. No, no, I'm going to be in Oslo next week for uh, the Norwegian Developers Conference. So I'm out as well. So we are going to take a, uh, I'm actually going to be gone for two weeks because my wife and I are going to stop in Iceland on the way home nice. uh, and do a little thing there. So unless you want to be a one-man show that following week, we're going to take a two-week hiatus. All right. Well, I'll see if I can dig up a guest host or something. Who knows? But next week, we'll, we'll be out for sure. Um, so yeah, let's have some fun. Uh, well, first of all, Oslo, by the way. Why do you get to go? I never leave the house, and you're going to conferences, conferences. Why do you, on the week where I get to go somewhere cool, you go somewhere cooler? I don't get it. Why is Oslo cooler than San Francisco? I think that's just your bias right there. Is it bias? 
I don't. I love Europe, man. I've been to London a couple times. I've been to Paris a couple of times. It's well, great. So, it's well, different. So here's here's the trick. You want to go to Oslo? That's cool. There's at least three conferences in Oslo that I know about that all pay travel. If you want to go out in there and talk to them, uh, just put together something about Dev Tools. Something something Dev Tools. Firefox Dev Tools on Fire. Something like that. Some interesting hour talk. And go do it. And then you can go and visit Oslo and meet a bunch of cool Norwegian developers. You've not met my wife, but I don't know that that she's in on that plan. I've got two munchkins right now who tear this place down. Do munchkins have grandparents? <laughs> I mean, they do. Well, so munchkins go stay with grandparents. You and your wife go to Oslo. Have you met my in-laws? Have you met my parents? <laughs> I don't know that the four of them together could handle this mess. A five-year-old and a two-year-old, they're uh, they're gonna burn the place down. But anyways, let's let's get to the the big news of the week, huh? Yeah, yeah. I think this one might take us a while to talk through all the angles. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So I was checking my Twitter feed before bed, which obviously you're not supposed to do because you only get wound up. But it was late at night where I saw the news come across from. Verge or, or somewhere else that Microsoft was looking into acquiring GitHub. And so I, you know, I mentioned the tweet that I saw and with one word, I tweeted, what? And that's the second worst thing you should do before going to bed is leave this thing out there because a lot of people thought I was being opinionated in that one word of the upcoming news. Yeah. And I imagine um, your phone was beeping for hours after that. Oh and people a firestorm. Um, and so, yeah, it, it happened. They weren't just looking into acquiring it. They did. Um, so I, I got to step back for one second and say that my tweet and my general opinion of Microsoft is no longer, you know, the, the evil empire that we saw in the, like, the early days of web development where they wanted their own standard <clears throat> they weren't open, um, and, and people just start, sort of thought negatively about them. That's gone for me. So I, I want to make that perfectly clear. Um, on the good side, I, I think it's a good move for Microsoft, definitely. Um, and I'm glad that – I know that GitHub's probably not short for resources, but having the power of Microsoft behind you is probably very nice. The, the biggest reservation that I have about Microsoft um, buying GitHub is whenever something big comes along, right, it gets taken in by Apple or Facebook or Google or Microsoft or Yahoo if, you know, something needs to be driven into the ground. My issue is it always felt really good to have – this other entity that, you know, GitHub's using and Facebook's using and Microsoft's using that everyone's using is just separate from everything else. It, you know, it's, it's, you're not worried that suddenly you're going to see some stuff on GitHub that's related to some other project uh, product that you don't like, right? GitHub is GitHub. It's where you host your code you know, that no advertisements, it's not trying to get you to install this toolbar or push you toward using a given um, app or utility for your code stuff. 
And so it always felt good that GitHub was just by itself. It was separate from all the other developer stuff. Um, I don't think that GitHub's going to like host Microsoft banner ads to download Excel or something like that, right? I don't think that they're going to try and push you into using uh, VS Code, right? I just, I liked it when it was by itself and had no other influence around it. That's the one negative. That, yeah, that all right, of- let's talk about the consequences of that, right? Because like, Everybody loved loved GitHub for, for that for that reason. It just worked. It was like the service that you would just show up and it would do all these amazing things for you to make you a very productive developer. And none of us were paying them any money. Well, that, that that's the problem, right? Is there was you know enterprise customers paying for private right, repos, right, 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 right. but they weren't paying enough for the service they provide. It was ridiculously cheap. Um. GitHub as a company, like pre-acquisition, is hilariously unprofitable. So they've taken $350 million in outside investment, and they were losing about $100 million a year. Just they GitHub, were, was. GitHub was. But isn't that like the the like the, the, the startup model, for lack of a better term? You know, well, like- I mean, it is, and it's horrendous. Like, it's the startup model of somebody who needs to either completely dominate the market and then they can charge whatever they want. Right. Or it's the model of somebody who has to get acquired. Right. Right. And, and, and yep. so there, I don't think there was any illusion in anybody's mind that at some point, like GitHub already kind of does own the market. I mean, yeah, there's, there's uh, GitLab. GitLab and Atlassian has an entry into the space and Oracle has an entry into the space, but like <laughs> GitHub kind of won. The, yeah, they yeah, they yeah. kind of own Mindshare. Yeah. But it's not like they have a knob that they can turn to say, all right, money now. Like sure. their their success is based on free and open source software and being the hub of that. There's right. really no monetization angle there. And so they had to get acquired. It was, I mean, there was no way it was not going to get acquired. Right. Like this was not a, like anybody who's like, oh, they should have, you know, gone on their own. Like it's not, it was never a sustainable model from... Um, from the time they took their Series A back in like 2011 or something like that, like sure. from that point, they were going to get acquired by somebody. Yep. And so it's who got who acquired them, right? Like right. of the people who could do it, this feels like the best option. Like, how would you be feeling today if Google had bought them, or if Facebook had bought them? Sure. Or if IBM or Oracle. How would you feel today if Oracle owned GitHub? <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Um, I wasn't aware that that um, GitHub was taking a bath, although I could probably, um, ass- you know, sort of assume that. Um, I, yeah, I agree with everything that you said. I feel like I'd have reservations about Google doing it. Um, I would have loved if Mozilla did it, but again, we can't we can't take that sort of bath either. Um, now, arguably, a lot of that money that they were spending is probably on marketing. You know, those Octocat stickers don't just create themselves. <laughs> um, but they they could have probably turned that down, right? They probably didn't need to sponsor as many conferences as they sponsored. They probably didn't need to make as many you know marketing materials or throw money as in different directions as as they were, but there was still fundamentals to their service. Like they have, like, 
I don't, I don't remember. I was looking at their numbers a while ago. Um, they have a lot of engineers. They have a lot of operational costs. Like just to provide that service is going to cost a bunch of money. Right. And the majority of people who use it don't pay them anything. <clears throat> it's kind of a tough spot to like be a comp- uh, be like a software company. Like there was a there was a tweet that made like a ton of circulation of this common attitude of software developers to a lot of companies is like, we don't want you to charge money and we don't want you to raise your prices and we don't want you to raise any money and we don't want you to sell it to somebody else and we don't want you to shut down. Right. We don't want to give you any money, but we don't want you to take any right. money from anybody else right. either. And yeah. it's just this totally unsustainable attitude that I think I think that Silicon Valley culture, kind of that startup culture has created. It's it's fake. Like it's, it's not even that. It's it's larger than Silicon Valley, right? It's like an open source thing. Like, I want to use your tool, which I'm not paying for, but I demand you put this feature in or you change this, right? So in a way, that's sort of that's sort of the internet, right? The internet's always been, I want my content free. Developers have always been, I want my like utilities free. I want the code for free. Everything needs to be free. And I think it's like an entitled attitude that we've had. Now, I don't blame um, GitHub for, for selling, right? You cannot blame that at all. I think it's just, it happened, you know? Like, like you said, we all knew that this was going to be the goal someday, right? If you're the creator of GitHub, you're probably going to need to be acquired. Um, it happened, you know? It's finally here, and now... It's like it happened. It happened, you, man. You being angry about it isn't going to do anybody any good. This has happened. Right, right. And again, I'm not angry either. I'm not worried about code. I'm not worried. I'm not worried that like Microsoft's going to start charging people. I'm not worried that they're going to use Bing search to find stuff and ads. I'm not worried that, um, as somebody hilariously tweeted, I'm not worried that you're going to have to do all your coding through Excel spreadsheets and put it up there. Um, no, but it, I bet that I bet there will be a push button deploy to Azure. That was the thing. So I, I totally see that happening. Yeah, 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 yeah. So let's let's have some fun and say what what sort of integrations can we see Microsoft doing with GitHub? I bet they push their other services as like. GitHub integration partners and give them preferential treatment, which is totally within their right. And I think it would be expected for them to do it. Like uh, if I was somebody like circle CI or Travis CI, I think I'd be worried right yep. now yep. because yep. they're, I mean, they have a competing tool, right? Why wouldn't you use Microsoft build like Azure build services or whatever? Right. Um, I think Amazon should be a little concerned right now because I think they're going to try and influence deployment and usage of Azure services as part of this. Um, making not, not that you can't use AWS or anything like that, but just make it so easy to use Azure as part of it that I think he'll make it. I think that'll, I think that'll happen. I think, I think we'll see some VS code integration stuff. Yeah. I think that, I mean, you might, you might get Skype integration in a way, you know, you could like set up, set up a call between your team or the GitHub org. Um, 
I don't know that like, there's so many possibilities and part of you wants to see what they can do with it. But the other part of you is like, don't touch it. Just leave GitHub the way it is. It, it was awesome because of what it was. Um, well, and I think they want to buy what it was is that they have this mind share uh, uh, of the open source community of every platform by, by buying GitHub. And so I, like there's a ton of value to that. And so if they're clever, they're going to leave that part exactly as it is. It's just all the premium offerings are going to start folding into Microsoft tech, I think. Yeah, I agree. It, it'll be really interesting to see how Microsoft can monetize it that way. Um, that's a really good point about Amazon feeling a little bit threatened too, right? Because they, they can take some of the AWS Mindshare. Yeah. Uh, money for deployment. And Travis and Circle as well. Actually, Travis and Circle were the first things I thought of when I saw this. I was like, Microsoft has a solution for this stuff. And that can't be good news for a lot of people. Yeah. Anybody who derives a big chunk of their income from GitHub, like the GitHub either partner network or integration network or that sort of thing, I think those people should all have a little a little bit of consternation over the over the situation. How do you think how do you think the um, competitors to GitHub should act about this? Well, GitLab has been uh, like being incredibly overt about it and offering sales and like uh, like talking about how many signups they're getting every day and stuff like that. And I think that's pretty funny. Uh, I saw somebody. I don't know if it's true. Uh, but I saw I, I saw a tweet that had claimed um, that GitLab was all running on Azure anyway. Oh, it's, really? <laughs> it's like if you look up their domain name, it's all hosted in, in Azure data centers, sure. which, is, which is kind of funny. Um, I think GitLab is probably playing this pretty right on. Like this is a huge opportunity for them to increase their customer base. Atlassian too, although I haven't actually seen anything about what Atlassian was saying. I think if anybody actually has the best case to make right now, it would be Atlassian um, because they are, they are what you kind of opened us up with. They are that independent software company, right? It's not one of the big players. All they make are dev tools. All they ever seem to try and make are dev tools. They just make more different kinds of them. Right. Um, and they're this internally profitable public company. Um, but I mean, if you should be moving your code anywhere, you probably should be if you're if you're worried about this kind of thing, which I, I wouldn't be. Right. If you are, I would say Atlassian is the best, most sustainable place to do it because GitLab is kind of in the same position as GitHub. Is like, they're wh what's the end game? They they either have to charge you way more than what they're charging you now, right. or they're going to get sold off, or they're just going to you know turn off. Sure. It's kind of the three options, right? Yeah. I'm sure that GitLab in the short term is going to be very, um, they'll be capitalizing off of the, you know, developers losing their mind a little bit, but I don't know that that's something that's going to be sustainable for them. I'm actually, I'm not worried about it at all. Um, and I'm mostly excited for, for people at GitHub and to see that, Oh, but I didn't even realize this, so I just looked it up. GitLab has taken $45 million in outside funding. Their last funding round closed in 2017. 
So they are totally in the same thing. The same ballpark. Yeah. Nobody should have any illusions about moving to GitLab as your good thing. Right. Like they, they have set off their own acquisition time bomb that they either need to become incredibly profitable, which is probably not likely with Microsoft throwing their weight behind GitHub. Right. Um, or they're going to get bought up too. I would say it's pretty, I, I would say sometime in the last week, Amazon made a phone call to GitLab and started having a conversation. That would be interesting too. Well, good luck, GitLab. GitHub did quite well with this. Now, the funniest thing that I saw in reaction to a competitor was um, uh, there was some folks at Oracle, of all people, who started like saying, oh, are you concerned about like Microsoft owning your code on GitHub? Just remember that the Oracle Developer Studio gives you 20 gigs of blah, 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 blah. Of like, if any company in tech is trusted less than Microsoft, it is Oracle. Like, who would think that, oh, no, Microsoft owns my code. I better go to Oracle quick. Right. It was the most tone deaf thing I did seen about like the whole thing. <laughs> it was so funny. Well, Silicon Valley is also good at tone deaf, let's be honest. <laughs> All right. So the next, the next, oh, congratulations, to everybody at GitHub and Microsoft. Uh, let's end it that way. That's Absolutely. Really it's, a, it's a great fit. Great fit. Okay, so the next thing that I saw this week is something that we talked about on our last What's in the News um, was sort of the, the mini controversy around array prototype flatten. Smush. Smush. Um, and, you know, sort of the, the concern about colliding with old Mutuals code. The last spec update, which I will bring up here, seems to have changed to array.prototype.flat. How do we feel about flat, Todd? I, I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, it's not a verb. I flat something. Right. Here's an array. I flat it. I'm not... I feel like for me, this is like the worst method name since JSON.stringify. Why not flatify? Flatify. flatify. I love flatify. (laughs) I am a flatify supporter. (laughs) In all seriousness, I don't like the, I don't know if there's an earlier precedent for this, but I don't like this. I, I really, again, I'll reiterate what I said the first time that we talked about this. I don't like skirting a JavaScript framework because there could be a day where, where there's sort of like another wave of, Hey, let's modify prototypes and you can run into the same situation again. And so like, if it were like Moo tools, first of all, was amazing and continues to be, but it didn't reach like the jQuery level of popularity, right? Like, if there was something that went on that was sort of like this with jQuery, I know that jQuery didn't modify prototypes, but let's say that jQuery is something that actually like meant something and somebody wanted to implement window.jQuery for something, right? I can kind of see skirting it around, you know, with that. I just don't see this. I don't see it at all. And I think that... Yeah, I don't know why they don't... Just flat. Make- 
just take over the name. Right. And and I don't understand why they don't like there's one part of the implementation that just drives me bonkers. And in the, you know, the what the name should be flatten or in this weird thing, flat or flatify, the the connotation that when you're done, this thing is flat. And it's not. Like it has a default like expectation that the the depth of how deep you go into the array is only one level deep. Right. Which is opposite to what MooTools did, right? MooTools was supposed to be like infinitely down. And like, I could see like having a depth of like some sort of sanity check of like, maybe you only go a hundred levels deep or something. And then you throw an exception or whatever. Sure. But like, why one? It's not, it's not flat. It's, you know, reduced by one. I can make a better case for that than I can the name, but I do. I, I also agree. Um, I had to bring this up because it bugged me so much. And this, I, I feel like a bit of a curmudgeon. Like I, I agree. I, I'm a bit of a curmudgeon with it, what comes to all of a lot of TC39 is I don't understand why they're doing a lot of what they're doing. Like, it seems like a lot of a lot of attention paid to like polishing up cases that maybe maybe we don't need to do this. Maybe this doesn't need to be a thing. Maybe we could just not do anything here, and that just might be okay. Maybe the 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 inherent conflict in having this isn't worth it, and maybe we just don't do anything. I actually can't remember the last time. I needed to flatten an array, to be honest. But, you know, it, it was enough that it was added to a lot of JavaScript frameworks, right? So it is a utility that's something someone's using a lot. Yep, um, yep. I, and I, I agree. Like, there are... But I think Lodash and those utility frameworks exist for a reason. And, like, I don't... Like, I think... I think the TC39 is operating under this kind of idea that eventually when something gets so popular, we need to fo- start folding it into the standard library of JavaScript. And I kind of thought that was one of the cool things about JavaScript was that there wasn't a standard library and I could just do the core things that I wanted to do. And I could change my implementation to be what my preferences were for this particular kind of object or particular kind of problem space I was in. Um, well, and listen, if there's something that a lot of people need, then I actually agree with putting it in the framework itself. In the um, framework or in the in, in language itself, right? Um, we shouldn't be using the same frameworks for like years on years on years. That's how we got into, you know, the mess in the first place is that like the JavaScript standard wasn't going anywhere. IE6 didn't, like Microsoft abandoned IE6 for how long? And that's part of why they had abandoned with developers, right? So there's a reason that that you take something that everybody's building and like put it into the language. I just think that. But is it something that everybody needs, or like? Well, the thing that's, that that's that, a case that, by case that rubs basis, me right? the wrong way is when it's just about like syntax. When it's just like a little bit shorter, a little bit cleaner syntax. I'm not. Don't I don't know that that really needs to be fought over, like because that's just a preference thing. It's well, okay. somebody's preference. I guess, but like, what about string prototype includes or array includes, right? Where you're 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 not doing index of, um, 
In, instead, you're just getting like a true false and. The, you know how those are yeah. sort of the same thing. Yeah. You know what I'm I, getting? I get you. I get you. Because like I do, I do like array includes. I think that's good and helpful. But I right. see what you're saying. That that. I mean, it was already there. It was just you know not very obvious because you had to use index of and check for negative one. Right. 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 Hmm. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I, I get the I get the use case for it. Like, if everybody's doing something and complaining about something, you have to do something about it. It just dot flat is. So it goes against every other method out there. Again, stringify. Stringify. I don't like that name either. It, it just rubs me the wrong way. But array, array dot flat. Uh, flatten it, man. Smush. I think we should punt the whole thing. Squeeze. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't mind that either. Again, I, I don't remember the last time I needed to flatten an array. Um, I don't know, man. All right, let's get on to the fun part. All right, enough conflict. Uh, yeah, enough rage. Um, one, you jokingly mentioned that one thing that we should talk about on the show was the um, the Fallout. There's a new Fallout game coming. <laughs> yeah, so we were trying to figure out like what we should talk about today, and I'm like, oh, we can talk about Fallout 76. That came out. That's announced. All right, so you said enough conflict. I'm going to introduce some conflict, okay? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I have never once played a Fallout game. What? I've not spent never a millisecond in Fallout. But I mean, is there about to be Fallout in this conversation? Uh, no, I mean, it's just <laughs> you're missing out on so much culture. I'm not though. <laughs> like Fallout is everywhere. Like the the branding of Fallout, you see it like all over things now. Okay, so here's my here's the state of me, right? After I would say when I, okay, so I, I, Nintendo 64 was my jam back in the day. I was a baller at Nintendo 64. Goldeneye, no, don't do it. I will destroy you. But, so, like, once I got a little bit older, like early 20s, I started playing Call of Duty. Like, first-person shooters were my, they were always my thing, right? Um, and so, like, since my 20s, since the original Call of Duty, I bought the the... That Call of Duty, I probably played Half-Life 2 a whole bunch. And I've played other games, but like every year I would get the call of the new Call of Duty game. And because I was, you know, in my early 20s, I was going to college full-time and working full-time. I didn't have a lot of time to be doing a bunch of different games, so I would do that one game. And then, you know, right after you're done with college, you're right into your first job, and you've like you gotta work your ass off to earn it in the industry, right? So there weren't a lot of time for games then. But the one thing I always came back to was call of duty. Um, and then you get married and then you have two kids and you know, like the, the time for games just less and less. So every year call of duty was the one game that I would get when I was <clears throat> frustrated. It sounds like you're limiting yourself. You're not getting new games. You're just playing the same game over but and it's over. It's not again. the same game though, but the same Little kids need to be owned by me every year after year after year. I got to keep it up. Um, so the, uh, the older David gets, the twelve-year-old you know, <laughs> shooter stays the same. <laughs> yes, um, but um, and we'll, and we'll talk about what I'm on now. But okay, so fall. I don't know. I don't even know anything about Fallout. Isn't it like? Isn't it sort of like first-person shooter, but there's more, like, story or more 
I, I, role play is not the right word. There's like, there's just no, more role, story. Role playing is a good word. Is it? it okay. It, okay. It's, it's a, it's a, it's role playing. Um, I started playing Fallout. Like I had a similar kind of background. I played Counter Strike. I didn't play Call of Duty. I played mm-hmm. Counter Strike uh, and Team Fortress and that sort of stuff. Um, but at some point, I realized that like I didn't have enough hours to put into games to compete with these people anymore. And games actually got way less fun when I wasn't like the best in the room anymore. <laughs> and when I had to listen to frankly, some of the most ridiculous, racist, sexist comments yep. ever coming yeah. out of these gamers' mouths. Yeah. And that, and games just, multiplayer games specifically just became not fun for me anymore. Uh, so I looked for single-player games, and Fallout kind of was uh, this amazing tit- like series of titles in this space where it still had a lot of the the first person shooter kind of controls the experience that you're, that you're, that I was used to, but it had a fantastic like overarching story and role-playing game and you develop your character. And it was set in like this post-apocalyptic uh, almost cyberpunk in at times, but like devastated areas. And then you're like this weird little city where you'd have to do like a bunch of hacking missions and stuff like that. Um, I, I really resonated with those kind of worlds. And so uh, I thought it was a particularly excellent kind of series of titles. Um, and I've played all of the fallouts since then. And, uh, and it's like a big game. It's like a huge deal, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's lots. I mean, um, they, there's two different studios that work on it, right? The, the main one, Bethesda, they come out with, uh, so what they're, uh, they alternate between a fallout title. And I think it, what was it a Skyrim or something like that is the other one they do, which is kind of like a similar role-playing kind of game, but a different world, uh, different mechanics, stuff like that. Um, and then there's a they've outsourced another to another studio that I can't remember the name of uh, that did uh, Fallout New Vegas. And so they usually use the same engine as the previous Fallout game, and then they make like a new story out of it, sure. uh, which is which is fun. Uh, this last year, or the, like what, two years, three years ago, when Fallout 4 came out, which was the latest in the series, they'd introduced like a city building mechanic. And so you'd like create these settlements and like build them up and armor them. And like it was this in world city building, which was kind of a neat concept, but it, I don't know, it didn't, it was addicting, but it didn't actually work that well, in my opinion. Okay. What's different about this is that so all the Fallout games to date have all kind of been centered around the same idea. It's like there was this giant war between the U.S. and China and Russia and everybody. And nukes were dropped. The whole world was nuked. Um, but people were sequestered in these Fallout shelters for hundreds of years, like okay. in cryogenic sleep. And then you woke up at different predetermined times to start rebuilding and repopulating the United States. Uh, and so... it each one of the follow games is kind of based in a different area at a different time kind of thing where like your shelter has opened and now you have a, a storyline that you're going to do. And so you might be in the ruins of Las Vegas. You might be in the ruins of Boston, which was fallout four. Um, but this next one fallout 76 is kind of a different thing um, where you're in shelter 76, which is referenced in fallout lore in the other games. Uh, Shelter 76 is supposedly the first shelter, the very first one that opens only 20 years after the apocalypse. And so I think this is actually going to be more city building is what I think, because it's going to, you're going to be released and you're going to, you know, 
there's not going to be anybody else there. It's just going to be all mutants or all that there won't be like this thriving civilization that has existed in all the other Fallout games when you join it. So is this like multiplayer online? No, sort of, no. no. Have any of the Fallouts been that way? Or is it just a single player game? I think is it even was- an online game. It's not even an online game. It's just a single player game. <clears throat> it's just something you play. I think there is, there was a multiplayer thing in Fallout 4, but I think it was a mod that somebody built. Okay. So how, how long does a game like this take to beat, roughly? Well, it depends how fast you want to beat it. So, like, that's that's one of the things that's, like, amazing about the Fallout game is that it's a really rich role-playing game that you can beat it. If you, like, knew what the core missions are in the world, you could probably beat it in, like, 20 hours. Probably. Okay. And you could either be like just a uh, killer and you could just run in with the biggest guns you possibly could and just kill everybody and play that route. Or you could be super like finesse and you could like con everybody to do what you want. uh, And you could probably play that way. But what an average game, like I think I put in 300 hours into Fallout 4 before I finally called it and said, I'm done. I've explored what I need to do because it will literally go on forever. Like there is enough missions and enough like randomly generated like subplots that get created inside of the game that like if you just want to keep exploring and keep building more settlements and like keep defending off like mutant attacks, you can. You can just keep going forever. Oh wow. Okay, so that goes against everything. That goes against my video game theory at this point in my life. I am because you're all about like <laughs> shooting online punks on fun PUBG, and gun right? dog. Jump on for 15 minutes, shoot a bunch of people, jump off. And so one of the blog posts that, I, that I've been writing, I don't know if I'm actually going to publish it, but so I play Call of Duty forever, right? But through watching Twitch, I found Player Unknown's Battleground, also known as PUBG. Um, and the difference here, it isn't something that you just jump in for 10, well, you can, but it's in Call of Duty, right? You like jump into a game, unless you're playing Search and, De- Search and Destroy or something else, you jump into a team deathmatch and you just like shoot people and then you die and then you respawn and you just start shooting again, right? In PUBG, you start off in an airplane on this massive map. There's a hundred other people online, uh, 99 other people, I should say. And you drop somewhere in the map and you got to find your guns, you got to find your armor, you got to find your meds and stuff. And then it's... Like, Are they jump- always in the same place? No, no. The, the random generation of, of, of loot is a massive, massive uh, pain point for a lot of people, right? Um, because I, they just don't do a good job of either putting enough in the map or... Like you'll walk into a room sometimes and there's three guns and then you'll walk into another house and there's nothing, right? And people get pissed off about that. Um, So having played Call of Duty where it was just fun and gun, regenerating stuff, I really wanted to get good at this other game. And one thing that video games in general have always done is help me with anxiety, right? Because I'm an anxious person. If Like you ask anybody, they'll tell you I'm super anxious. Uh, and jumping into PUBG actually gave me more anxiety because I wanted to be really good at it, but I just wasn't, you know? Number one, I had to switch from 
console to PC. And that's a massive change if you haven't been playing PC games for a long time, right? So there was that. Um, but I've actually gotten to be really good at PUBG, and it's helped me It's helped me over the anxiety of wanting to be really good at something, having to work for it. And ultimately, if I jump into a game and don't do well, I've, I've overcome the feeling of failure that way, if that makes any sense. You know, jumping into something new, not being good at it, and not being upset with yourself, to get to the point where you're okay with not doing well, that was a huge anxiety reliever for me, if that makes any sense. It does. I don't think I ever hit that point with Counter-Strike. I think no. uh, when <laughs> I stopped being good, it just created too much anxiety. Right. And I quit. <laughs> right. No, I like I, I hung in there, and it's treated me really well. Um, my wife so, so what do you think about the comparison with Fortnite? Because that's the other one that's like, what is it, a, a PUBG ripoff? It's basically the same thing, right? So Fortnite did a lot of things right. First of all, their engine's way better. They listen to, ve- to developer feedback better. Developer um, feedback or gamer I'm sorry, feedback. gamer feedback. You know, the developers listen. Um, I just can't. It's not sad. Fortnite isn't satisfying to me. You know, like toy guns and cartoony graphics. And I guess they added like shopping carts where you can push your teammate around the shopping cart. It's, it's too kitty for me. Right, like I need, I need you want, to see, you want Call of Duty. I need you want, you want to feel real. I need blood. I need, I need realism. Like the Call of Duties that were super futuristic, I wasn't super into. Like I jumped into Call. The early ones were like World War Two, and mm-hmm. it was that was the last um, Call of Duty I played. I think was a World War Two one. Yeah, well, like the first handful of them were. Or World War One, you know what I'm saying? Like realism. Um, Fortnite just doesn't do it for me. I find it boring to watch and boring to play. And what's the point of playing a game if if that's how it feels? But you're telling me I'm missing genres of games. So what? You, you are missing genres what, of games. What's What's cool right now that I? Well, actually, stop. I played a lot of VR games, right? I was into heavy into VR for a while. But what else? What, what am I missing, man? What's well, the... I mean, there's real-time strategy and turn-based strategy. Did you ever play any of those it games? Takes, or those... It takes too much time, like Warcraft back in the day. But Well, I was real good at Warcraft. I was, real I was good, good at Warcraft, Warcraft, too. But, like, again, it needs to be something where you can, like, play it for a half hour and be good. Why? Then, Why does it need to be that? I got wife and kids, man. <laughs> I, I know, which is why, like, I don't play any games for like weeks at a time, and then I'll have a day that's like I don't have anything going on, like literally nothing, and it's raining out and it's cruddy. I'm gonna spend all day, and I'm gonna play Civilization. Let's do this. Yeah, well, you no, know, I can, I can we'll see saving like, up your get game some time. tacos and some beer, and we'll spin up a you know Catherine the Great of Russia, and we'll take over the world. I'm in for the tacos and the beer if we can play <laughs> PUBG. I'm totally <laughs> like the other no, thing. It's too I'm, intense. You can't do that all day. It's too much. It, it is intense. Like at the end of a game, my hand will be shaking, you know, because it's like it's you get into it. The other thing that I treat video games for or that I use video games for is if I'm in the middle of trying to fix a really difficult code problem, I'll jump into a video game, go on to autopilot, 
and sort of, you know, sometimes the answer works it works out itself. If you've ever like woken up in the middle of the night with like a, the answer to a problem or you're in the shower and you're like, oh my God, you know, have those moments. I have a lot of those moments when I'm doing sort of a brainless fun task, if that makes any sense. And I feel like strategy games, they take too much of your conscious thinking, you know, and and it's, it's not like an autopilot sort of thing. I think it's, it's that you just need your brain, your conscious brain thinking about something else so that your subconscious brain can work out the problem. And what you're doing doesn't so much matter. You could be, you know, off for a walk or taking a shower or playing a video game. doesn't matter which one, whichever one you like. Totally disagree. You're like, it's gotta be PUBG. You will not have as good of an idea as I'm going to have if I'm playing PUBG and you're not. Done. Right, right. We're gonna have an idea off during video games. <laughs> We're gonna have a coding challenge during video games. I have always had the best ideas just when I'm about to fall asleep. That's like a problem. I'm just about to fall asleep and I'll have like the best idea ever. And then I'll wake up and I'll like try and work through it. And sometimes I have that and I think it's the best idea ever and I'll write it down. And then the next morning I'll be like, what the fuck were you thinking? That was (laughs) stupid. But other times it really is a good idea. So, I mean, you just never know. I I have that what the fuck question to myself every time I'm awake. (laughs) I I don't know what I'm doing at any given time. But like video games are like, they're so good for stress relief, right? And like, it's sometimes, it, sometimes they can cause stress. I've oh, definitely, no. I've definitely left video game sessions where I am way more stressed out than when I started. Sure, but in the end, they're a game. And they're, unless Have you ever guys are so into a game that like you're upset over it? I, and this is probably less of an issue with PUBG because like it's a round, it's over, you're done. Like there's not a lot of investment to any individual round. Where, but I have maybe I'm weird here, maybe. Um, I have definitely played rounds of civilization where I am stressed out over the state of my civilization. <laughs> like for days. Oh, I was I'm... like, oh, I should have done that. Oh, oh, yeah, I need to build up, you know, a navy. Or, oh, I really should have done that. Or I should be researching this technology tree. And I'll just be like, kind of like, you know, anxious over over the situation. And it's not healthy and I need to stop. <laughs> I've the last time I remember getting really upset about something was Mario Kart 64. There was there was a contest in Nintendo Power Magazine, if you can remember that, for the best time on Mario Raceway. And I was baller at Mario Raceway. And there was a specific, very, very, very hard-to-do trick to jump the wall into a power slide so that you could you like burned around the track really quickly. And I don't I remember what happened. <laughs> I was on the last lap, I nailed the trick internally I'm like OMG, this is amazing. And my mom or my dad came in, turned off the Nintendo and said, you need to go play outside. <laughs> and I was fucking <laughs> raging. <laughs> Cuz this is like hours and hours it was like the hardest, like there were a certain number of frames that that you had to hit in order to make this trick work. I finally got it three times in a row. And I learned how to set up the VCR to record 
the Nintendo, like to record me doing this because you you had to send in proof that you did it, right? Mm-hmm. You know that you didn't use Game Shark or whatever. And I just like controller wall. There was rage. It was terrible. I haven't felt like that as an adult. I have rage when there's like desync problems in a game, you know, where you thought you shot someone first, but like nothing, nothing that kept me up at night. We've been playing the new uh, Mario Kart Switch in my household. It's been a uh, fun stress reliever for everybody involved. Switch good? Switch is really good. It's really good. I bought there's my- um I always used to like to play F Zero on Super Nintendo, the yeah. old hovercraft racing game. Yep. And there's two maps in the new Mario Kart that are F Zero inspired. Okay. Like they have remastered F Zero music, and they're like they feel like F Zero. Like if they were to make F Zero now, they feel like what that would be. Did Did they ruin Mario Kart here? Has no, that, Mario Kart is awesome. gone somewhere. There's, there's an Excite Bike course. Which is super fun. Like it's just it's just all these homages to other popular Nintendo titles. There's Zelda tracks. There's like exact replicas of like old SNES tracks that you just play with the new engine, and that's fun too. The Carmudgeon in me needs to declare that there will never be a better Mario Kart than Mario Kart 64. Well, you need to go try Mario Kart. I'm drawing that line. No, you just need to go. You can't say that without having played Mario Kart. I can say anything I want, and I'm saying that Mario Kart 64 was the best Mario Kart ever. (laughs) I don't even need to play another one. I don't need. I'm not even going to recognize another one. Not even the original. (laughs) All right, and with that, I think I'm going to (laughs) call this right here. Good. All right. Well, (laughs) we didn't really talk about all that much of substance today, so I'm not sure if I even have a takeaway (laughs) other than that David has delusions of grandeur about his goodness at Call of Duty and the superiority of Mario Kart. I have no delusions of grandeur about how good I am at Call of Duty. I am going to post a screenshot and a video of my Call of Duty play imminently on Twitter. Twitter.com slash David Walsh blog is me, Todd. I'm at Todd H. Gardner. Look forward to some ownage being posted to Twitter for my Call of Duty years. We are off next week. We're probably off for two weeks. But after that, I have some good ideas for bringing on crypto people. Maybe some more friends from Mozilla if I can talk them into it next week in San Francisco. But that's it for this week. We'll see you later. Adios. Krypton Style Show is recorded and produced by David Walsh and Todd Gardner. We'll see you next time on Script and Style.